to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and thanks for showing up and being you and putting my voice in your ear holes. Um, Keeping with the theme of infertility, today we have the woman, the myth, the legend, you may know her as the Egg Whisperer, Dr. Amy Ivazade on the show today. She also just so happens to be my fertility doctor. Yes, it's true. I feel so lucky and fortunate that she is in the Bay Area. Um, she has a podcast. She has a YouTube channel. She has egg freezing parties. This woman leaves no marketing stone unturned. And she has been, she is literally an angel sent from heaven. Um, In my own search for doctors to help me with infertility, it was rare that I ever came across a female. Ironically enough, this industry still has a lot of men. I don't know if it's dominated by men, but from my own research, there was a lot of men out there telling me about my female reproductive health. And um, I came across Dr. Amy like after two failed IUIs, and I honestly wish that I had seen her sooner. Um, She really is all about empowering women, empowering the patient, and she gives you individual care. I'm saying she basically gives you the best individualized care and makes you feel like you are her only patient. Just a small recap for those of you keeping up with my journey. Um, so Dr. Amy um, was the doctor that did my first egg retrieval. And next Wednesday, I will be going through my first transfer with her. So that's where we are. I'm doing progesterone shots every evening to prepare for the transfer. Um, I'm also taking aspirin. I'm also um, doing a prenatal, um, you know, certain things that um, help guard against inflammation. So that's where I'm at. Um, Another friendly announcement is Please rate, review, and subscribe to me, myself, and Millie. I know, I sound like a broken record, don't I? But your reviews, your ratings, you even talking about the show carries so much weight and it helps the show grow and thrive and it's so awesome. So hop on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to this show and give us five stars and write us a love note. Thanks so much, guys. Welcome, Dr. Amy. It's so great to have you on the show. 
I am so happy to be here, Millie. I absolutely love everything that you're doing. And just hearing your voice just brings a smile to my face. Oh, you're so sweet. I, um, I, you know, I just, I knew you before I started working with you. And I love your podcast. I love your YouTube channel. I think you are empowering so many women across the globe to take charge of their fertility. And I just feel so lucky that I'm one of your patients. And I feel lucky that you have the faith that I can help you reach your goals and dreams too. So thank you for all those compliments. Aw. Well, let's start by telling folks how you got into medicine and why reproductive endocrinology. So for medicine, it was easy. It was in my genes. My grandfather was an OBGYN. My grandmother was a midwife. My father was an OBGYN. So just from birth, I basically came out of the womb knowing that this is what I wanted to do. Following my father in his footsteps, he would take me to labor and delivery and I would watch babies being born. But then when I was in middle school, my mom suffered greatly, several miscarriages, many of them over 20 weeks of pregnancy and the moans and the screams in the middle of the night that I would hear as a young child, you know, that kind of stuff stays with you. My mother never cries even to this day. And that's the only time I saw her cry. And I would hear the howls in the middle of the night. And I said, that's what I want to fix in my life. I knew by the age of three, I wanted to be an OBGYN. I know it's hard to believe in the seventh grade. I said, I want to fix the problem of having recurrent pregnancy loss. And that's what I did. I dedicated my life to that. I started doing research at Harvard's recurrent pregnancy loss clinic every single summer. And yes, I was the biggest nerd you could ever meet. And I continue to be the big, I'm really no fun. I mean, a, a patient of mine, this is a true story. She was telling me that she's moving to Hawaii. And I was like, oh, I want to move to Hawaii. And then I was like, no, no, I would get there and be like, who can I help get pregnant? Like who on this island? <laughs> and then I would soon run out of people to help. And then I'd be like, okay, where do I got to go back home to help people? But, um, but that's where the desire came from. It was very, very personal because of my mother. And it just was a mission that I was on. And I had a professor tell me when I was interviewing for my infertility fellowships, he literally said to me, Amy, don't come across as looking like you're too obsessed. And I'm like, oh, honey, you have no idea. This girl is on a mission. And so, you know, I, I took it as an insult at first, but then I'm like, nope, it is a compliment because few people have know what they want from such a young age. And I was certainly so lucky to know that. Mm, that's great. That's so, that's so beautiful. I mean, it, it's tragic, but it's like gorgeous too, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, you have four children. Were any of them conceived using assisted reproductive technology? They weren't, but we certainly all have a story. And one day I'm certainly going to have a story to share, but I'm not going to share it quite yet. But um, my, uh, my sister has been very public. I did freeze her eggs when she was 32 years old. It's a hilarious story. One day we should all get together and talk about that. But, um, but no, I have not needed to use IVF to, to conceive my pregnancies. But you helped your sister out. I definitely did. And, and that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I know your husband is also a physician. How do you find the time to be such a hero in the fertility world, doing a podcast, YouTube channel, exceptional individual care with all your patients? How do you do it all? What's your secret? Um, it's, there's no secret. I don't do it all. I really don't. I mean, my husband, literally, I, I couldn't, I, 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 you know, I'm just so lucky. You know, we're all in the storm together. My boat is equipped with the most amazing man. 
And he is a loving father. He never thinks of taking care of his kids as babysitting or a chore. I mean, certainly there's some nights where I get home and maybe a lot of the wine is gone from the bottle. But (laughs) aside from that, I mean, like, that's how you can do it all. To work full time as a physician and have four kids, you need to marry an emergency room physician. Because honestly, when your kids are sick, you can leave the house and be like, no one needs a gynecologist here. (laughs) They're going to be much better with the ER doctor at home. And so, um, you know, we have a great balance in that um, he knows where I'm happiest and that's helping people. And certainly I adore my children and he does a great job at home with them being a father and especially during the quarantine, doing all the homeschooling. And at the same time, he, he's also working, but his work demands are different than mine. He can mm-hmm. leave his work at work. And obviously I don't, as you know. Well, that's beautiful. It's beautiful to know that there's um, a guy behind the scenes supporting all the work that you're doing. Um, so tell us about a pivotal point in your career that was a big learning point for you as a professional RE. So the biggest pivotal point was in 2014. I actually bought the website eggfreezingparty.com just because I go to, you know, I was going to parties and home shopping parties and people were coming up to me and asking about fertility and telling me their stories. And I was like, you know, I just, and people would always say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm talking to you about this outside of work. And my thing is, I love talking about what I do. It's not work for me. So any opportunity and chance I have to talk and teach people about fertility, I'm going to take it. And I just realized there's just so much, so many myths out there. So I said, I need to take this concept of talking to people at these home shopping parties and then create something. And so I went to GoDaddy literally, and I bought eggfreezingparty.com. And then basically the rest is history because Facebook and Apple came out and said they were covering egg freezing. And then, you know, a local news station, Fox News called me and they said, Hey, would you be an expert on this and just tell us what you think? And so I did an interview with them. And then I happened to tell the reporter that I, 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 I didn't even know what I was going to do with the egg freezing party website, honestly. And then I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to have an egg freezing party next week. And then the rest is history. Then, you know, I was talking to 2020, 60 minutes, the CBS morning show, good morning America today show. And I'm just so lucky that, you know, when it comes to a story, I'm considered an expert BBC news, for example, NPR, that I am able to take my mission statement and make it global. And I can do that through my YouTube channel. So that was really the pivotal point in 2014. And I also credit a patient of mine. So there was a very dear patient of mine who was a CBS vice president, and she was at that first egg freezing party. And she had bought me the website eggwhisper.com as a gift when I helped her with her twins. And she whispered to one of the San Francisco Chronicle reporters, that's my egg whisperer. So the first story that came out in November of 2014 was the egg whisperer throwing egg freezing parties. And that's kind of where the whole egg whisper concept came from as a way to help women get their levels checked. Because after those egg freezing parties, I wanted to be able to continue to help people, not just about egg freezing, it's just about education. Mm, I love it. I love it. You're such a go-getter. <laughs> yes. You're such I a go-getter. I have a bracelet on right now and it says every morning you have two choices, continue to sleep with your dreams or wake up and chase them. So oh, yeah. I love it. Well, who are some of your professional role models and why? So my professional role models, I mean, I know this sounds kind of nuts, but LeBron James, 
I mean, I, I know he's not a fertility doctor and you're like, Amy, what the heck? I mean, this guy is amazing. He's an incredible athlete, so disciplined and just giving back to his community. So that's one. As far as, you know, fertility doctors, I was super lucky in medical school to be exposed to some of the like the grandfather of infertility and IVF. And that's Dr. Alan DeCherney at UCLA. And back when no one had cell phones, this guy was giving out a cell phone to all his patients. And so when I started my practice, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to make sure people know that if they have a question, they can get direct access to me morning or night. I mean, he would be in an exam with the patient and then you would hear this ring in his pocket and he would be answering the phone. And obviously I don't do that, but that's role modeling really made me realize that it's okay to be that personal with patients and make sure that they have access to you during the most, most stressful time in their life. That's amazing. I can hear my husband in the backyard on a phone call and uh, I just sent him a text message to shut up. So (laughs) I just, I just like, you know, while we're talking about supportive husbands, Sometimes you just got to tell them what you need. Um, Okay. What's the question that you get asked the most by your patients? I mean, I think the, one of the most common questions is really, you work on a Saturday and a Sunday. (laughs) That's probably one of them. And the second one is like, when was the last time you had a vacation? And I'm like, well, do I look like I need one? Um, (laughs) I mean, I think uh, the hardest question to answer is, why didn't this work? And so I'm always prepared with an answer. And I even answer that question before it's asked, because I know that's the first thing that people have uh, to ask me after a treatment that doesn't work. Because if you, if you look at the statistics, if you look at all IVF cycles in this entire country, only about 30 to 35% are even successful. So that means 70% of cycles are not successful. So people need to have answers. They need to know what's next. They need to have someone who's going to guide them. And that's why it's super important that I schedule post IVF consoles, post IUI calls, so that when a patient has a period, she thinks of me and we come up with a plan for success. That's great. I think that was one of the things that really um, comforted me throughout my own journey, and I'm still in the middle of it, like is knowing that there's always going to be another plan out there. It's very reassuring. Um, Well, what's the most common misconception about conception and why? Yeah. I mean, the most common misconception is that it's easy. And I don't, you know, people think that it's easy for everyone else. And like, why isn't it as easy for me? And the reality is that's just not true, especially if you're over the age of 35, it's just so much harder to get pregnant. And for women who are over 40, we have to normalize things for them and tell them it's actually very rare that someone over 40 can have a healthy pregnancy because I think more and more than ever, women over 40 are seeing a fertility doctor and they're under this misconception that if they just did IVF, it would work and it would work the first time. So I think the biggest misconception is that getting pregnant is easy. And so that's why I try and educate people about the Tushy method, about the five steps they can take to learn about their fertility from a young age. And then I have those, you know, I call them my egg whisperer golden rules where people can get their levels checked and make some decisions for themselves about preserving their eggs, sperm, or embryos at a young enough age while they still have options open to them. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Well, can you myth bust any of the TTC fads out there? And like, which one is your favorite one? 
because, you know, you got the pineapple core, legs up in the air, McDonald's fries, Brazilian nuts, etc. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Um, I think the most important thing is the 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 pine. Not so much the most important thing. I'll, I'll start over and say, um, you know, as far as pineapple core, does it really help? Probably not. Um, I joke and say, dip it in some rum overnight and then suck on it with some whipped cream. That sounds really yummy to me. <laughs> Otherwise, the pineapple core is pretty nasty to me and it might upset your stomach. So it doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, but I get it. I mean, people want will do whatever they can and need to, 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 to get pregnant. And, and I, and I, it's cute to get those kinds of questions, but people certainly ask me like, what can I eat? What can I do? And I just say, just try and be as healthy as you can sleep, you know, at least eight hours per night, exercise most days of the week and eat a plant-based diet and try and avoid, you know, uh, um, eat more organic if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, and organic, you mean organic meats? Cause sometimes there's a lot yeah. of hormones and meats. Absolutely. So, um, low pesticide fruits and vegetables, ideally. And that's really, there's so many chemicals. I mean, I swear, I feel like we're being poisoned everywhere from the soaps that we use to the perfumes, to even our leather belts and leather purses that are dyed in certain dyes. And even like receipt paper can be poisoning us. I mean, not to sound like a paranoid, you know, fertility freak, but Honestly, I do think that there are things that if we're exposed to over long periods of time can really affect our egg quality and sperm quality and then ultimately embryo quality. What is this study out there um, that like, I just remember it in the back of my mind and it was like a magazine did a study on sperm counts before World War II and after World War II. Mm -hmm. And the only difference between the time of what was going on was how much plastic was out absolutely. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plastics are really destroying men's sperm counts. And if you look, for example, I mean, you know, going through IVF, what happens? You remember how much plastic waste you created from each shot. And what do we do with that waste? We put it right in the, I mean, I, right in the garbage. And so there's a little bit of menopure left in each of those vials. And I just think of that going into our water system. And affecting guys' sperm counts. I mean, there, there, there's exposure everywhere for guys, and that's definitely, uh, definitely a truth and scientifically proven fact that sperm counts continue to go down with every generation. Wow, wow! What can men do to help their sperm health? I mean, one thing is to freeze sperm young. I mean, there's so many things that can happen to a guy as far as you know, think in life. I would say, you know, if once my sons, for example, turn 25, I'm definitely going to recommend that they freeze their sperm and there are easy ways to do it. So that's one thing. I mean, egg freezing is a whole process. Sperm freezing is a cup and a movie maybe, and that's it. Um, the other thing is just eat healthy, um, avoid heavy drinking, um, avoid THC, CBD products as well, um, avoid nicotine and try and have a healthy BMI, lift weights exercise most days of the week, sleep well. I mean, that's just a really simple, simple recipe for sperm health. And I also have, you've probably heard of it, balls method for guys. So background genetics, anatomy, lifestyle, labs, and sex. So those are the things that you have to go through to make sure you're thinking about everything if a guy has a sperm problem. But even if you don't, it's important to talk about those things too. How can we be more supportive about men talking about infertility? We've got to get some famous guys to talk about it. 
Mm. I don't know. I mean, the one thing about Barack and Michelle Obama, I, I feel like there might have been a sperm issue because he is a heavy smoker. Yeah. I mean, we'll never really know, like, how would I ever know? But I feel like there were, there's so many opportunities for them as the, you know, I always tell people like, now you, now everyone knows someone who's done IVF. Now everyone knows. Cause I have patients like, I don't know anyone who's done IVF. I'm like, yes, you do. Michelle and Barack Obama. Yeah. So there might've been, a, I, I feel like that's what it's going to take is someone like a celebrity to come out and said, I did IVF and here's my story. And I had low sperm counts and look, I'm super strong and I'm, you know, it has nothing to do with how macho I am and I'm proud to talk about it. So I feel like it's going to take that and more guys talking about it with their friends. And certainly we're seeing that, but it's just not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what's the one thing you wish every woman would know and understand regarding their fertility? That age is the most reliable predictor of pregnancy. Oh God, that hurts. Well, it's true. And fertility starts declining at 25. It's not 35. There isn't some cliff that you fall off at 35. It's I mean, I get the 25. Yeah. If you look at fertility rates and some women have run out of eggs by the time they're even 29 or 30 that are healthy and their mothers didn't tell them that they did too, you know? So that's part of my egg whisper golden rules. You know, talk to your mom. What was her age of menopause? Does their family history of fibroids and endometriosis? Did your sister need IVF? Did your mom need IVF? You know, nowadays, now that you know, IVF has been around for over 40 years. Now you have kids that are born from IVF and their moms should be telling them, I needed IVF for you so that they get ahead of their own fertility issues potentially and do things about it. Mm, wow. I mean, the 20s are just so critical, I feel, from my personal, you know, my personal own life. My 20s were so critical for career development and like the idea of, trying to have a child in my 20s felt so anti-feminist, you know? And so, but I think you're exactly right. We got to give women more tools and like empower them with knowledge Mm -hmm. so they can take action. Right. I mean, what happens, people are tracking and trending their hormone levels and then they're ready to freeze their eggs when they run out of eggs. They're like, oh, I'm ready now. I'm 39 years old. My FSH is 12. My AMH is 0.3. And I'm like, Oh, like if only we had done this five years ago. You know what I mean? Yep. What's the one thing, um, we kind of talked about this a little bit with male fertility, but what's the one thing you want every man to understand about their fertility? About their fertility is that men have a biological clock as well. And it isn't just about having a sperm cell. And it's, it's, from a personal standpoint, I mean, from a, from a relationship standpoint, men can never relate to a woman ever because we run out of eggs. It's as simple as that. And men do not. So I also wish there was more care and compassion around that when it comes to the relationship between a man and a wife or, you know, two partners, obviously they don't have to be married, but for men, it's that it's not, it doesn't just take one sperm cell it does take a really healthy sperm count with good motility and good morphology to get pregnant. And so some of the things that I see that get in the way of relationships is that the sperm count's a little bit low and he's still smoking or drinking really heavily and he's not changing his habits. And it's very frustrating for my patient because he's been told somehow he heard that his sperm is great and he doesn't need to make changes because he has plenty of sperm to father five children. You know, that's the kind of stuff that drives me bonkers. And I have to myth bust that. And if someone has been told that, it's a lot of work for me to kind of 
you know, teach people what the facts are. Mm, that's great. That's really good because so much of this kind of falls on the woman and the woman, the female is the problem. And that's where we have to, you know, investigate and seek the solution. And I think, um, I think it's like, you know, we have to incorporate the male side of things a little bit more too. And there's so many easy tests now. So there's yo sperm tests, like a little thing, a chip on your phone. There's meet fellow, M E E T fellow.com. It's a cup. You just send it in and you get motility and morphology within like two days. It's 189 bucks. So there's so many easy testing methods for guys. Cause I think guys are scared. Of course, like who wants to do that in like a strange public place? You know, it's very intimidating. And, and I know we go through a lot as women, but we have to appreciate that it's hard for guys as well. No pun intended, haha. But you know, just whatever we can do to make it easier for them. I'm all for. Mm-hmm. What is something that really frustrates you about the online infertility community? I think that uh, the one thing is I call them fertility trolls. So there are people out there that they make up, they truly make up stories to get attention from people. That's one. And then they provide opinions as if they are medical experts and they have no idea what they're talking about. And I find that incredibly unfair, especially when women are very vulnerable. They go to these groups to get help and support from other women. And then I see these other, I call them trolls, just attacking them or just changing the conversation, making it all about them and not about providing support and acting like an expert and telling other people that what they're doing is wrong. So that's just the problem that I have. Otherwise, I think it's great. I think it's great that women have a place to go and share their stories. But when I when I started my practice, I actually used to go into these groups and start like trying to give medical advice and be like, oh no, you guys, like this is like what that means. And I found that people actually don't want to hear from me. They actually <laughs> want to like talk to their friends and and not get an expert opinion. So that's why I'm like, you know, I just have to have my own thing. And that's why I started my YouTube show. Got it. You know, I watched one of your YouTube videos yesterday. It was called um, Frozen Embryo Transfer or what to do after your frozen embryo transfer. And what's something, you you listed some really great things in there. What's some of the things that you recommend for women going through IVF and about to have their first transfer? I mean, I think one thing is to go into it knowing you've done everything you possibly can to give yourself the very best chance. And at the end of the day, each embryo will stick or not. So reserve a little piece of your heart for the possibility that it won't, but it's still okay to go in super hopeful. You know, I have patients where it doesn't work and they get very angry. I can't believe I was so hopeful. And I'm like, no, that's human nature. That's, you know, we, we are still going to be hopeful for the next one. And so that's the one thing I tell people to let it go. Just sing it like Elsa. Just, you know, just realize that you've done everything and then be prepared for the possibility that it may not work. But at the same time, I always hope that it does. And then ask your physician the right questions. Like, have you done a cavity evaluation? Have you, if you need implantation testing, why or why not would you do it? Is this the right progesterone for you? How do you know? Is your lining thick enough? Should you wait a little bit? Like those are the questions that you should ask up front. The time to ask those questions isn't after an embryo transfer doesn't work. And then, you know, as far as the, you know, quote unquote, two week wait, which for me is an eight day wait because I'm the most impatient person in the world, have things prepared for yourself to distract yourself. You know, like this is a good time to like organize all your pictures on your phone, for example, make some photo books, call friends, you know, um, yeah. you know, make sure you have prepared meals, schedule your acupuncture, find things that will bring you joy during that eight day period. 
And you said something like butt to chair, butt to bed, butt oh, to yeah. couch, yeah, rotate. Because yeah, yeah. everyone asked me like, what should I do? You know, how much activity? What should I eat? Can I have sex? You know, and it's like, this, this is what I tell people. It's very, very easy. Butt to bed, butt to chair, butt to couch, butt to toilet and rotate. You're not going to burp, fart, piss, <laughs> laugh, sneeze your embryo out. It just doesn't happen, right? But everyone's scared that that is going to happen. I know doctors that tell patients, look, right after the transfer, just get up and go. That's not my style because I know if a transfer doesn't work, the first thing we do is we say, I moved too much. And the answer is no, you did not. But I like patients to kind of just take it easy just for those two days after the transfer because that's when implantation is going to work. And then after that, life as usual. You can exercise low impact, low intensity and no heavy lifting. I ask patients to avoid sex until after their positive pregnancy test. And in some patients, I still don't want them to have sex. But that's that recommendation is individualized for the patient. And what what's the bending over theory or like bending over and doing any heavy lifting? Um, you know, there might be some, you know, if you're lifting really heavy, like over 60 pounds, that may not be healthy for implantation to occur. Bending over is just fine. You can bend down and lift something. But I always tell my patients, why do you need to bend when you have your cabana boy or girl next to you? That's what I was telling Rowan. I was like, these socks that I'm finding on the floor, it's just not going to, it's not, they're going to be here for another year after, exactly. oh, yeah. after my transfer. So you better... You better get into the habit right now. Purchase his G-string, get his tray ready. <laughs> he is going to be your IVF cabana boy. I Very love sweet. it. Well, and to wrap things up, what suggestions, if any, do you have for people who are struggling with infertility? Because, I mean, I have I have a core group of friends and we all met in a Resolve meeting and that was so helpful to find a community. Um, and then I know women who are so afraid to even find out of what, uh, to even take the action to make an appointment with an RE. You know, what suggestions do you have for those types of people who are a little afraid to make the leap to see a doctor? I say, look, if you had a heart attack right now, you would get your butt into the emergency room and you would say, what the heck is wrong with me? Do some tests, fix me and tell me what I need to do to live. And infertility is like a heart attack in your uterus. It's as simple as that. You got a problem. You got to get a diagnosis. This is a medical thing. But from a young age, we're taught that we have all these religious thoughts around it. And then there's the culture issue as well. So depending on your ethnicity, you know, depending on how you were brought up, in terms of which type of church or mosque, you know, those things all play a role and then start, people start bringing God into it. You know, if, if God meant for me to be pregnant, then I would be pregnant. And I was like, uh-uh, if God meant for you to have a heart attack right now, come on, don't even go there with me. Right. Yeah. So God gave me the skills to do what I do to help you have babies. And that's what I tell people. I love it. I think that's so important. Like I know I have a friend in Montana who is struggling to conceive and the closest RE doctor is three hours away from her. What do you, how can you help those people who have accessibility issues? I mean, with telemedicine now we can do almost anything. And now with all these do-it-yourself home tests, like you can get a uh, a sperm test. You can do hormone levels. 
and they're imaging centers. While she may not have a fertility doctor close by, she has an imaging center close by where an ultrasound can be coordinated for her, an HSG can be coordinated for her, and then she can get a plan, a roadmap for success. And then if she needs to do IVF, then two weeks of her time, she would either fly to me or fly in that area to that doctor and just hang out there for two weeks and get an IVF cycle done. That's what I would do if it were me if I lived that far away from a fertility doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, I mean, again, back to having a plan, Mm -hmm. when you have a plan, I feel like that kind of alleviates a little bit of anxiety of what's going to happen, Right. you know? Totally. Um, Well, how can people find you and follow you and listen more to what you have to say? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's Egg Whisper Show. You can find me on my website, D-R-A-I-M-E-E.org, Dramey.org. One day I will have a rap song that goes with that. And I have a contact form there where if you want to reach out and make an appointment with me, you can through there. And obviously on Instagram and Facebook, I'm active there as well. Love it. Thanks so much, Dr. Amy. This was an absolute pledge. Ditto. I can't wait to see you again. You're the best. You're the best. See ya. Okay. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.